Welcome to the soul of everything. This podcast is an adventure in the psychic nature of reality that I've experienced since I was born. My name is Chelsea McLeod Schultz. I'm a psychic medium, psychic portrait artist, and psychic meditation guide. And in my world, everything in existence has a soul. Trees, people, animals, people who have passed away, time and space are no barrier to the truth and connection to these souls. And every single soul in the universe is part of consciousness. So it just wants to be felt, seen, and understood. If you're here, you're gonna be on the psychic adventure of experiencing your emotions as information about your past, present, and future. Trusting that your body knows before your mind does, which is how intuition works. And opening the door to communicating with your past loved one. Opening the possibility that your past loved one communicates already with you in your daily life. So let's go on the adventure. Welcome back to the soul of everything. Today I'm going to talk about what the metaphysical design of human beings seems to be based on what I've heard from babies, the souls of people before they come in to be born, when they're conceived, kind of around that time. I'm going to tell you how you as your soul came to be generational healing for your family, for your community, for the place that you come into and how that works through you. And then also I want to share the significance of remembering myself before I was born, coming to visit my dad in Portland, where I am right now, which is a very significant place and pretty much the only reason that I exist in human form, in this human form. So stay tuned if you're interested in hearing about these things. So... Things that I've noticed over many years of doing readings and meditations with people, it's been about eight years now of publicly doing this work. My big story about how this started for me was on September 11th, 2001. I was 12 years old. It was the day that the Twin Towers came down. So everything was intense. And I came home that day. I remember playing outside, and the sky was this really crazy orange. And I turned around in the street to go back towards my house and felt this really odd sensation of being outside of myself, watching myself. So when I came inside, I realized that I got my first period. And so it was a really big day. Everything was closed that day, so we kind of had to makeshift some things at home. All the convenience stores, all the big grocery stores had closed because of the Twin Towers coming down. So, kind of got settled in that big event, went to bed, and felt something strange as I was facing my wall. So I rolled over in bed, and I looked at the door. And there in the door stood a man who was six foot tall, darker than the dark, 
and just standing there. And my first thought to myself was, how can something be darker than the dark? And my second thought was, how do I know that this is a man? He looked darker than dark, but in my mind's eye, I could also see all of his features, his tall, lanky frame, his mustache. So I was seeing something physically with my eyes and seeing something inside with my internal eye for the first time, or the first time in a very noticeable way. So this was the first time that I started seeing people who've passed away, which I didn't know. That's what it was at first. And angels, people's energy fields as a color. A lot of what I see comes in different shades of color, but the people who have passed away do often look like real people. People ask me how I know the difference between a regular person and a person who's passed away. A lot of times they will flash So they'll be there and they'll look very, very real and then they will disappear. And that's how I know that they're not a real person. So when all this started, when I was 12, I really remember sitting in high school watching my astronomy teacher teach and this very vivid blue color coming off of her. I watched people who have passed away in the middle of the floor kind of like they're half their body in the floor, half of it above the floor. I watch people walk through walls. I seem to be tapped into this realm that nobody else was mentioning if they were seeing it. And so this started my interaction with the world in a very different way. So since that day, I have been trying to reverse engineer what it is that I'm experiencing and how it works, especially why time and space do not seem to be a barrier to the truth, to what is deeply, profoundly true on a soul level, what happened in history, what will happen in 20 years from now based on the choices we're making in this current moment past, present, and future seem to be available all at the same time. And it seems to be coming from our human bodies, from the trees and plants, from the ground beneath us, from things that are seen and unseen. Every time I interview a soul, whether it's a human soul or the soul of a tree or a past loved one or an alien or an angel, They seem to tell me things that span through all time, which is really cool to me. So it's been my fascination to understand what are we metaphysically as humans? What is it that makes a human, because I am one, so I'm the most interested in humans, function the way it does? Why does this world feel a little bit backwards? from what I thought the world was like as a kid. And one of my biggest curiosities is just seeing the pattern in people. So metaphysically, I have started to understand that the human design is that when someone is born, 
And I should tell you where this comes from. When someone is born, their soul is an exact frequency match to both parents' deepest and most repressed desires, expressions, truth. So, when you were born, you came into the family that you did because your soul is made up of the stuff that nobody else is brave enough to do. Not your parents, not either sides of your family, all the way back in many generations. So when people talk to me about doing generational healing, what I've noticed, and I will tell you where this comes from, it comes from babies before they come in, souls, these little floaty orbs that are outside their mother's bellies or kind of hanging around in the space where their parents will conceive. What I've heard from these babies is that we are generational healing. So your soul is going to do the things that nobody else can because it can't help it. It is just those things. So sit with that for a minute. This is really important to talk about. So what I've seen in readings and meditations over the years is that a lot of people seem to have the same problem because of this. So we are a social species. We are extremely dependent on our parents to take care of us when we're growing up in this body. And that means we need food, shelter, all those things. My friend Leah has little ones right now. And I watch her little one, Lily, mimic her exact behavior. And that's what we do as kids. So we come into our body as these souls who are going to do the thing that nobody else is willing to do. The deepest desires, the most true expressions that are just too scary to live out as a human, right? People hold them all internally in this internal world. And then we're in this weird blueprint where we take on the conditions of what our parents are repressing that have directly to do with us. (laughs) So your soul comes into the conditions of what you are being repressed, being denied, being ignored, being scary, taboo. So if you ever felt like you grew up in a place where you didn't make sense or your parents, even though they were great, or maybe they weren't, didn't understand you. And when you did the things that felt the most like you, it actually felt the scariest, the most taboo, the most vulnerable. That is the design. (laughs) So really interesting, right? So the reason I know this is because there's a couple stories. The first time I remember vividly talking to a baby and seeing it as this little beautiful yellow orb just hanging outside of her mom's stomach, it was when I was working at Illuminate Your Spirit in Livonia. I think it was actually in Plymouth at that time. And it's a psychic shop. It was my first job at a psychic shop doing what I do. And it was really exciting. They were really very supportive. I just love them so much. So the shop owner who tried me out in the first place and ended up doing a great reading for her 
had her daughter come in to visit. And as soon as her daughter walked in, it just hit me because of course I had meditated that day. I had just been very open. I was drawing. These are some of the things that make me feel like myself. And also if you want to be more psychic, (laughs) if you want to be more uh, able to feel past, present, and future, able to feel the world as information having to do with your life or other people's lives that you're connected to, do the things that feel like you in that vulnerable and taboo state, you will be so available to all the synchronicities and information and, and this kind of stuff. So she walked in and it was like smacked me in the face. I'm like, oh my God, you're pregnant. And she's like, no, I'm not. And I said, yes, you are. Because <laughs> I saw this little yellow orb and it was like, I couldn't even hear her voice as much as I heard this little being talking to me. And that's what hit me as soon as she walked in the door was this pure yellow orb little being just saying, hey, I'm here, I'm here. So I said, if you're not pregnant right now, then you're conceiving like in a week or something. Like it's, it's really, your baby is sitting right outside of your stomach. And she thought that was fascinating. And she was so enthralled when she found out she was pregnant a few weeks later that when she had walked in, was basically like within a day of the conception, which was really fun. And then, of course, I had told her that day that her baby was going to be born. I can't remember what month it was. It might have been March. And she's like, okay, (laughs) I don't know. I'm not pregnant. I'm not, you know. And her baby, of course, then was born in March. The only reason I knew this is because the baby told me that this is when she was conceived and this is when she's going to be born. So that was really super fun. So babies do a lot of talking and when they show up as these qualities that no one else in the family dares to be, they have the opportunity to change the karma, the acute non-self that the whole family accumulates just by being themselves, but it comes with the treachery of really feeling like the black sheep, like an outsider. You don't always get thanked by your family for being all the things that they may or may not know they are deeply repressing. (laughs) So one of the other things that has happened that helped me understand this is there's this story that's told in my family that's very coveted about why I even exist at all, why my family exists. So my dad had met my mom when he was 27 and she was 21. He didn't realize she was so young. He was very drawn to her. He was the sound man. She was the bartender. And he had been with someone before that who was really not great. Had a drinking problem. They were together for a long time. They had all the same friends. And when he walked away from that relationship, he lost a lot of his friends. He lost a lot. But he started dating my mom 
and things were just so good that he freaked out (laughs) and took a step back. And they dated for a few years after he finally came back and came to his senses. And then my mom said to him one day, I really want to get married and have kids. That's what I want to do. I know I want to do that in my life. And my dad, having grown up in feeling very much like the outsider in his family, like the weird one, didn't really feel like he wanted to do those things. So he told my mom that wasn't what he wanted to do. And she said, okay, I have to go find someone that wants to do that with me then. So my mom, being the very strong and stoic, pretty incredible person that she is, sided with what she really wanted. And she moved out of the house that they lived in together. And so my dad was lost and distraught. And obviously reflecting on what was going on. Why this person he loved so much couldn't be with him because he didn't want the same things that she did. So he decided to take a trip with all his open time to Portland to see my aunt. He has three sisters, and this is the second sister. And when he got here, my aunt had my then two-year-old cousin. And he just decided, my dad, that he was going to spend some time with them. I hear it from my aunt and from my dad that he came alive when my cousin called him Uncle Goofy. (laughs) because he was strange she felt like she just wanted to go to the park with him and he was being very adulty and standoffish so it cracked him wide open to be around people who were doing family a different way than he had felt in his family growing up and he realized that being with kids you got to be a kid again and so he went back to Michigan and proposed to my mom and (laughs) understandably it took some time for her to come around because she didn't understand that he could have such a big epiphany and shift in just such a short time or through that event. One of the things that happened Years later, is I was born, and then obviously they had gotten married as well before that. When I came here to Portland, which seems to be a very magical place, when I'm in Portland, I look at the trees and the land, and it seems to look back at me the same exact way. When I listen into the soul of this place, it's almost like it sees me and feels me the same exact way. Very rare feeling. And so I came here probably three years ago and was living here for a while. I was kind of on the road, living about six weeks or eight weeks in each place up and down the West Coast because I wanted to see the country. I had lived in Michigan most of my life, 
But at the end of 2018, I just decided I needed to go. It was time to see the world. So I made it to Portland. I was here and I was running on a track in the middle of the night. Just a college track that was lit. That's why I was there. I didn't feel like going to the gym. I wanted to be outside. And as I was running, I saw this deep purple orb come down from the trees or somewhere and just start running alongside me. And I thought, okay, who is this? Normally, these orbs are babies. So I thought, who is this? And then I had a very deja vu uh, times 10 explosive meta moment that this was me this was my soul before it came to earth and when I talked to it as I was still running it told me that it came and visited my dad when he was in Portland before him and my mom got married before I was created And that as soon as my dad had the moment with my cousin where he realized what a family could be like, where he realized that having kids meant that he could let his inner child play and have fun in life, that that's when I appeared as this purple orb and patiently waited in his energy fields, in my parents' energy fields, to come through. still gives me chills to this day. So being visited by different versions of yourself (laughs) happens a lot. Um, One of the ways that deja vu is what it feels like is because whether it's you as that baby self, that soul before it comes in, or you who are in your life review at the end of your days. When you're done in this body, you go on to life review. I'll talk more about that in a future episode when I talk about people who have passed away a lot more. But when you're going through life review, you look at every single moment in your life and you visit it. It's very much like a Christmas carol. So sometimes when we feel deja vu, we actually feel ourselves, that is already the version of us that's already passed away, visiting in that moment. And sometimes they're just very mundane moments of deja vu, right? But sometimes those moments are the ones that are the best, that we miss the most. I won't talk too much about people who have passed away, but something that I really hear from people on the other side a lot is how much they miss. The rain on their skin, the squeeze of a hug, the feeling of really good food in their mouth, the steam coming off of a cup of hot soup, the sound of clapping, they miss these very simple things because they're sensory. When you don't have a body, you don't feel these things in the way that we do anymore. So it feels very important to highlight that part of deja vu in this story 
the other part of deja vu, which is worth mentioning as well, is dreaming something before it happens and then matching with that moment in real life. So like, oh, here I am. This happened to me about this trip that I was taking around the country. When I was eight years old, I remember having these dreams of flying above big red rock formations, very distinctive landscapes. I had this dream of a very, very big, mossy looking island. It was like a big rock, but an island at the same time. So when I went on my travels, it would hit me like a huge wave. I would walk around the corner in some natural place. Like, it wasn't Sedona. It was the other Red Rocks place. I can't remember the name of it. Moab. When I was in Moab, there were the Red Rocks. And all of a sudden, I just remembered I had that dream when I was eight years old. And here's the thing. Somehow I was seeing it from above. And now I'm on the ground looking at this exact thing. Same thing with that rocky island that exists in San Francisco. I had this very, like, my hair on the back of my neck standing up feeling as I turned around a corner and walked up to this big mossy rock island and thought, I have dreamt this. This is so weird. So those are the two forms of deja vu that I've spiritually Uh, reverse engineered or diagnosed or whatever you want to call it. This is my greatest fascination in life is to understand the mechanism of how these subtle things that we experience on a daily basis, like our emotions, our thoughts, our body sensations, are actually information coming from past, present, and future. How we can visit different versions of ourselves through space and time. And so going back to the thing that seems to speak the loudest in this human design is when people are doing what feels the most like them, it is the most magnetic state of being that seems to all encompass manifestation, healing, abundance. If you're doing what feels like you, remember you grew up in the conditions, in the place, with the family, with the peers that actively are repressing, denying, disconnecting from the qualities that you have. So it's a rough start to life in some ways for that reason. But you have those qualities And so that's why it feels so vulnerable and taboo to just do what feels like you and be the soul that is the exact match for what's going to be generational healing, for what's going to be healing for your exact physical location you came from. You might not be able to stay there to do that healing. To be healing for the world, the best thing that you can do is do what feels the most like you in every moment and it's going to feel scary and it's going to feel vulnerable. Every single person I've talked to, whether I've done a soul reading for them, a meditation with them, an energy healing, 
a tarot reading, all the different tools I've used over the years. The thing that feels the most like them is the scariest, I don't know what I'm doing, but this feels really right. And it also feels powerful in a way that I have to be careful of. There's a lot of those kinds of feelings. And again, the feelings of this is taboo, nobody wants me this way, that seems to be in there as well. So my example of this is that I grew up in Sterling Heights, Michigan. And if you've ever been to Sterling Heights, it is, at least when I was a kid, deemed the sixth safest city in America. But I remember at one point feeling like, oh, this makes sense. That area did not value art, does not value intuition or spirituality on a deep level. It's not a community based in the things that feel the most like me, which are absolutely making paintings of people's faces and connecting to their souls, especially memorial portraits, sculpting figures and faces in the earth, doing my form of meditation, which is to listen to the strong emotions and thoughts and sensations in my body as information, listen to understand, right? And talk openly about all these things I've been talking about (laughs) in this episode, about my experiences with people who have passed away, with energy fields, with angels, with all the things that, as I grew up, nobody around me seemed to be seeing or hearing or feeling the same way I was. So, because I grew up in that place, it did leave that imprint, right? Of being an artist is going to be hard. Being an intuitive person means that you're um, not a good person. I've gotten some of that over the years. Like you're scamming people or, you know, really not doing right by people. And making money in those two things is not what anybody in my community did. I never saw anyone in Sterling Heights, Michigan make a living from either of these things and and live well without having another job or having another uh, life that they lived outside of this. So if you're out there and you've thought about these things or you've noticed some of these things, just know that what feels the most like you is going to be something probably that you remember feeling connected to in some way when you were a kid and in different parts of your life. I bet you that the best moments in your life, you were doing a lot of the stuff that felt like you and the other moments in your life that were not good, notably bad times, you did not do the stuff that felt like you. It's kind of simple, the formula, but it's very, it's very challenging to be in it. So your greatest contribution to your family, again, who may not thank you for it, to your community, who may not thank you for it, (laughs) to the world 
is to do what feels like you. And what happens when you do that consistently, if you were to just ask yourself in every small moment of the day, what feels the most like me? Is it smiling at this stranger and saying hi as I walk by instead of doing the thing that I was conditioned to do and put my head down and try to pretend like they're not there, right? Even the small things, the small things are all the most important because they add up and they're in the present moment. Doing what feels like you gets you to the place, places with the people that want you that way because you probably do not come from that place or grow up in that place. So that's the important part, like the hero's journey facing the fire from what I've seen is that more than I can plan my life, if I wake up every day and do what feels like me, there is magic all around me. Life is almost complete synchronicity and I'm available to see it because it's always there. Sometimes we just don't notice it because we're in our conditioning. We're in the opinions of other people who were actually here to move through our soul movement, coming through our body when we're doing what feels like us, right? So it's your most powerful state and it does lead to you being able to be loved and accepted and celebrated and funded and in the state of being that feels the most like you with other people and in connection to the earth itself. So Portland is a very special place because it was the reason my soul could come into a body at the time that it did, with the family that it did. And it's pretty amazing that all of this stuff exists. <laughs> all of the energy, colors, the different subtle things that come through us every day that we're writing off as just anxiety or just uh, grief or just a coincidence running into something, being diverted at a dead end and having to turn around. Every moment of life is magic. Doing what feels like you allows you to be in the magic, to be on the scavenger hunt with the universe. And that's what we're here for. So my invitation to you today, if you're listening, is to do what feels the most like you. Say the thing out loud to the person you love, which by the way, is where we have the most to lose because we care the most. That is truthful, but hard to say. Share a taboo truth. When someone asks you how you are, tell them how you actually are. Let's start to build a world where everyone feels the most like them. We play musical chairs and we really innovate this economy, this organization of stuff around everyone being able to do what feels the most like them with the people that want them that way. You feel me? So I hope this finds you well. 
Stay tuned for more episodes. If you're interested in working with me, I would really love to speak to you. I'm focusing right now on long-term psychic meditation, mentorships, containers, what people have said are better than therapy sessions. If that's something you're interested in doing in those sessions, we are going to help you experience your emotions, your body sensations, your thoughts, your environment as information about your past, present, and future so that you can do what feels the most like you in this life and feel like every moment is magic. Feel yourself as walking abundance, walking health, walking healing, walking manifestation. These are not things you have to effort into. It's all about doing this simple but scary thing of being yourself. So if you're interested in this work, we work for a minimum of six months together and you can see some info about it on my website, www.chelseamcloudschultz.com. I also have another thing that I'm really excited about. It's called Love Never Dies, the Psychic Portrait Experience and the Mini Psychic Portrait Experience. So in this ultimate eight-week or five-month memorial, we are going to help you hear from your past loved one in your daily life. In this process, we sit down together, we talk to your past loved one, that's how we start everything, make sure we're all on board to have a great you know, partnership through the eight weeks, which is the mini or the full, which is five months. And then your person or pet will choose from the photos that you provide which one feels the most like them that they want to be painted. They will then choose their canvas. So in the past, one of my favorite ones was Lindsay and her dad. Her dad who passed away insisted that he be painted on a piece of a wooden boat. So I went on a scavenger hunt for this boat piece and he said, it can't, you can't cheat. It's not an oar. It's a piece of a wooden boat. I ended up finding a piece of a shipwrecked boat that had washed ashore in Michigan while I was there in the summer, which Lindsay thought was amazing because her dad had been in the Navy, loved fishing, so of course we had to had had to be a piece of a boat. And they had sunk his ship, which they often do, I guess, with navy boats when they're done with them, so that they become part of the coral reef. And he wanted <laughs> for me to make the trek and find this piece of wooden boat. Of course it was a sunken ship that had washed ashore. So there was a lot of other cool synchronicities in that process with Lindsay and her dad. Events where she actually saw and heard him in her environment. We would see him doing the same things at the same time with both of us, which is so cool. 
because people who have passed away can do that. They can visit more, more, more than one person at once autonomously. It's a very cool thing about how time works over there with no body. So they choose their canvas and then we go through this process like I'm describing with Lindsay where we do psychic meditation with you and I transmit any messages that are coming through in the painting process from your past loved one. So not only am I going to give you the information, the inside jokes, the songs, the uh, things about the family, the events that they're going to be at coming up because they want you to know that they're still around, the aspects of their personality, the connection points that are really for you to know that they're still with you. We do psychic meditation so that you can feel their presence with you and have that direct line of communication anytime you want. Any day, any moment, you can drop into your body and feel them. So we do the painting process. At the end of it, I type up a really extensive report that says, hey, this is what we experienced. So it chronicles all the cool synchronicities, the moments that they communicated, everything that they did, the songs, the information, anything that they conveyed in the process. And then when the painting's done, I hand deliver it directly to you. You get to have a piece of that person or pet back in the physical realm through this portrait. Because it is truly a conversation with them to make this piece all the way through. Their essence is in it. One of my favorite testimonials from a different Love Never Dies experience is she said that it was the most she's ever felt her son who passed away since he had left nine years before to have her portrait hanging in her environment every day. She said he felt like he was around so much more. His presence was stronger. She felt him in every day, especially through the process, but absolutely after, many months after the process. So if this is something you're interested in doing, I would love to talk to you. Again, message me, email me on Instagram at Chelsea M. Schultz. You can go to my website and check out all of the testimonials I'm talking about, what people have experienced in Love Never Dies. My biggest understanding from people who've passed away is that in this memorial process, part of what we're doing is helping you fall in love with life again. Helping you to do what feels the most like you because you know that your relationship with them is still happening. It's evolving and growing over time as you live life together just on different sides of the veil. So if you're interested in this, get in touch with me. Would love to have you. Would love to talk to you about what the process is like. And until next time, I hope you do what feels the most like you. Find the people, places, and things that want you that way. 
and I will see you again in another now moment.